Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the word tonight? We started ministering last night along the lines of something that God said to me last month, and that is this, that it's time for miracles. And since it's time, we need to make sure we're doing the right thing at the right time. And as we said, it's always time for miracles. It's not that there's not a time for miracles, but when God decrees it like that, that he's inviting us into a, another room of that, another flow of that, another a flow of revelation of that. And so uh, we want to make sure that it's not just us waiting on him to do his part, but we do our part. And uh, how many of you know God's part is power? But our part is believing. And whenever we do our part, his part is always, uh, always just right there and ready to, ready to come into manifestation. And so we were talking last night about it. Uh, I want to turn, I want you to turn with me if you would to John chapter six, John chapter six, and we'll start there tonight and we'll look at verse 28, John chapter six. Verses 28 and 29. It says this, that referring to the disciples, that then they said to Jesus, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So notice this, they recognized that there was a part for man to do. So to have miracles, there's a doing on man's side. Meaning this, God doesn't work miracles apart from man. He involves man. So when God, uh, when you need a miracle from God, you better know there's something for you to do. I love something Dr. Summerall said. He said, when I need something from God, I start doing something. And so many people, when they need something, they sit back and wait for God to do something. And they'll wait for month after month and sometimes year after year. But I I love how they recognize they have been with Jesus and they made this statement, what shall we do? That we might work the works of God. They are the works of God, but they're not just total up to his working. There's a work that man has. And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe. So your part is the believing part. Amen. God's part is the doing part. So far as he does the miracle, he, it's his power. It's not up to us to get rid of pain. It's not up to us to get rid of symptoms. It's up to us to believe that his power deals with it. Amen. And, uh, in the believing there's some, uh, there's some things I want us to look at tonight because we have to realize that we are co-labors with God. And I, I like what Jesus said. He said, this is the work of God that you believe. Notice believing is a work. It's not just something that's taken lightly. It's going to involve some effort and uh, not 
It's not an effort of earning something, but it's an effort of becoming skillful with what he has bestowed. Uh, Brother Norville and Dad Hagen were in a car one time, and Brother Norville was telling us that uh, they were stopped at a stoplight, and a man who was crippled was walking across the crosswalk, coming across, whether on crutches or in a wheelchair or however, we don't know, but he was just crippled. And Brother Norville said to him, said to Dad, said, Dad, is it, Brother Hagen, is it God's will to heal that man? And Brother Hagen said, yes if someone will pay the price. Well, we know this, Jesus paid the price for healing. So what price is he referring to? He's referring to the price that man pays to become skillful with what Jesus purchased. And we talked about that last night about, we want to hear, well done thou good, thou skilled and faithful servant. Because the one thing you don't wanna do is do something faithfully wrong. (laughs) There's a lot of people that they're believing God wrong. They're faithful. They're faithful at what they know, but what they know is wrong. There's many who have a wrong version of faith. And the right version of faith is the God kind of faith. Amen that Jesus referred to in Mark 11, 22. But the wrong version is, is that if we're, we say we're believing, but we're not receiving, it's because we have the wrong version. And we don't want to faithfully do the wrong version because we will faithfully receive nothing. (laughs) Right? So it's not about just being faithful at something. It's being skilled at what you're faithful with. Amen. And so we were referring to that last night. We want to have success. And this is what the disciples asked. What must we do that we might work the works of God? They're asking, how do we have success like you have success? Amen. And he said, this is the work of God that you believe. This is, you're going to have to bring this to God's power, the work of believing. And so I want us to go, turn with me if you would, to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I was on one occasion, I was talking to God, spending some time. And when I say talking to God, yes, I was talking to God, but in that talk included repentance. (laughs) And um, I was repenting to him about... Not so much things done wrong, but things left undone. Could have been further along. Should have been further along. Should be doing more of this. Should be doing more of that. And I want to acknowledge, I know. (laughs) I know. That I'm not doing all that could be done and should be done. And so I said, I just just want want to acknowledge that. I want to judge myself on that. And so I talked to him about that for a little bit. And then I picked up a Brother Hagen book and sat down to read and was reading for a little while. And while I was reading that, I had this impression, this sense to get down on my knees. And so I just got up off the chair and I knelt down there uh, close to the chair. And the moment my knees touched the floor, Jesus was standing in front of me. 
Did you see him? No. By word of knowledge, I knew exactly where he was at. That's the way it operates with me. Now, Ed, he would have told you what he's wearing <laughs> and all that, but I know by word of knowledge. So he was, I know exactly where he was standing. And then he said to me, he was standing right there in front of me. See, it, there's an appropriate, there's an appropriate response when he's present. <laughs> and it's not just sit there and act like nothing's happening. It's not carry on as usual because the unusual has just come into manifestation. And so uh, here I am, I'm, I'm just on my knees there and he's standing in front of me and he said, you have failed many, many times. And I thought, my first thought, I didn't. And when he said that, there was no condemnation. There was no pushing down with that. There was no putting down with that. And I, my first thought was, I am so glad I brought this up first. <laughs> because he was talking to me in response to my conversation before I started reading. And, I, and so I was so glad that I brought it up first. But notice, if you'll bring it up, he'll bring the help. If you'll hide it, there can't, there's no help. If you'll ignore it and act like it's not there, there, there can't bring help because the acknowledgement is the open door for the help. So he said to me, you have failed many, many times. And then he didn't leave me hanging there. Aren't you glad he didn't just say, see ya. <laughs> nice, nice talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you have failed many, many times, but I never have. Don't you love that? I never have. So he said, I share my success with you. What a statement. I share my success with you. Meaning this, you're not going to get better at anything you talk to me about looking at you. He gave me a better place to look than me. Because the more we look at us, the more we are, we are aware of what we're not. And Brother Hagen had made this statement on one occasion. He said, there is nothing in Kenneth Hagen that's gonna help you. But he said, in me, is the greater one that has the help for you. Amen. But if you look at you, you never become all you can be. And so many people spend their lives looking at them in a negative direction. I don't do this, I don't do that, I have a weakness here, I have this fault, I have this failure. Looking that will do nothing but fortify those things in you. So when he said, you have failed many, many times, but I never have, he was authorizing me to look away from failure of my life and look at the success of his. Why? Because the direction you look at is the direction you go. Isn't that right? Please tell me none of you drive your car with the road in front of you and you doing this. No, you always look where you're 
not yet. And if we look at the natural and at this humanity side, all we do is keep traveling that direction. So he said, but I never have. So I share my success with you. You know that God's never failed at anything he's done. And he's in us. That means we share not just in his image, but everything his image is. We share in his success. And that's what Jesus said. He won it. Knowing this, we don't have to go out and achieve success on our own. We don't have to formulate a plan of success. If we will become skillful, knowledgeable and skillful of who's in us, the power that's for us, amen, and operate with that in mind, then the success he won, Jesus succeeded at everything. Amen. And uh, we... We don't succeed because we do everything right. We succeed because he did everything right. He did everything right. Amen. And uh, included in that, my goodness, you talk about the success of Jesus. Every single arena of his life was a success. Every outflow of his life was a success. That... Whenever, whenever he was somewhere, if there was something that wasn't successful around him, it was other men. It wasn't him. There were men who failed to believe, men who did not respond, men who left him, men who spoke wrong, men who thought wrong. But as far as his flow, it was total success. So just know this, the success of Jesus belongs to us. He won success for us. Amen. So that's for life in every arena, that every relationship in health. But what about this? What we're talking about started about last night. It's time for miracles. If we're going to have success, we have to follow the one who had success. Amen. In that. And he said to them, he said, this is the work of God that you believe. Jesus believed. So to have his success, we have to do what he did. When I look at uh, this passage in Joshua chapter one and verse eight, uh, are you there with me? Uh, We can read this together. He says, it says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate on it. This is the Amplified. You shall meditate on it day and night. That you may observe and do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous. So notice this. If he didn't want us prosperous, he wouldn't tell us how to make our way prosperous. He's not in the broke way. The poverty way. He's telling us the way of prosperity so that you shall make your way prosperous, then you shall deal wisely and have good success. Notice the last phrase, and have good success. Have good success. 
Everything above this last statement is how to have good success. So he's telling us how to arrive at the success. These are the steps Jesus took on the earth. Amen. He wasn't born knowing what the Holy Scriptures said. He had to learn them himself. He had to find himself in the Word. He had to be who the Word said he was. He had choices to make. Amen. All, all along, he was agreeing with the Word, who the Word said he was. That was how he had the success he had. He agreed with who the Word said he was. Amen. And, and he said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So he did not have success apart from his father. Our success is totally connected to what our father shows and what our father says. Amen. And so here, when he said, so I share my success with you, how about sharing his success in miracle flow? with us. How about sharing his success in the flow of healing with us? It could, it certainly means every arena. So you need to think of it in terms of every arena, but I want to bring it in terms of what God said to us. It's time for miracles. So we're going to have to do what he did to have the success he had. And he offers us, he showed us the path of success. We don't have to go out and find it. Millionaires and, and, and billionaires are out there telling you how they found certain paths that led them to their success. That's, that's fine for what they're doing. But for what we're doing, we can't go out and formulate our own path. We have to know. He showed the path of success to arrive at miracles, to arrive at healings, to arrive at raising people from the dead, to arrive at casting out demons. Amen. And he said, this is the work of God that you believe. All of this, the success of heaven. And when he says, my success I share with you, he's not talking about man's definition. He's talking about heaven's definition of success. God's definition of success is what is shared with us. So let's lay aside any definition of our own success that that doesn't measure up to his definition. Amen. And think of when, when this verse here was given. Think about this passage when God spoke this. Is, uh, Moses had just died. And uh, now Joshua is now the man put in as leader of the second generation of Hebrews delivered out of Egypt. The problem with the second generation is they were trained by the first generation. <laughs> That's the biggest problem. And the first generation were complainers, murmurs. They chose unbelief. And this is who were parenting the second generation. So you talk about a job that Joshua had. The first generation saw some remarkable things that were worked that, to bring them out of bondage. They had one of the greatest men as their leaders who's ever been born on the earth. They had all kinds of demonstrations that were worked to bring them out of Egypt. They came out, not one feeble one among them. Think about when it says that. 
that wasn't just people working office jobs. These were slave bodies. Abused, misused, mishandled, mistreated, neglected, overworked. And they've been working hard, physical labor their whole life. And every one of them walking out with a straight spine, straight joints. Think of it. The, this was the healing of a nation in one night as they ate the Passover lamb. As they ate. What was that? A type Jesus, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you got no part of me. And that's what basically they were doing, the symbolic eating of his body. And it made them straight. It made them whole. They were walking out. No, not like the, not like, uh, the Moses Ten Commandments out of Hollywood. They showed them in wagons. They're pulling old people. They're laid back in wagons and they're coming across on crutches. None of that. None of that. Every one of them walking out strong and renewed in their flesh, renewed in their strength. Not, not one of them groping around in blindness trying to find the fellow in front of them. Amen. Think about it. There was not one feeble, not one feeble one among them. After all that hard work of a lifetime. And then not only that, then they walk out rich. God said, go demand of your neighbors, the silver and the gold and the favor of the Lord came. And men and women were letting go of the wealth of their household. In one day, they walked out with the wealth of Egypt that could be carried. They walked out with it. What is that? Back pay, baby. Back pay. With interest. So notice how they walked out. They had the word of the Lord that said, I have a land for you. I love the way he describes it. It's a land flowing, flowing, flowing flowing. The life God authored for us is a, is a life of flow, flow, not stop and start barely enough. A flowing life doesn't see the bottom. It doesn't see the bottom of the barrel. It doesn't see that it's almost out. Why? Because there's a flow. So he says, I have a land for you flowing with milk and honey. So they walked out with the word of the Lord. They walked out with the health of God. They walked out with the wealth of a nation. They had this leader. The only free Hebrew in the earth was used to free them. And they walked out and they had a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They walk across dry land. They, they, they experienced and saw things that no human eye had ever seen before of God working in their behalf to bring them into the greatness of his plan, to bring them into his definition of success. They saw all this, got to the wilderness and stopped it all. Stopped it all. After seeing all this, they never arrived. You can imagine a disappointed, a disappointed generation. A discouraged generation. No more faith left in them. Why was it? Because they kept injuring their own faith 
by complaining against their boss, complaining against their leader, complaining against God. You see, complaining is the language of slaves. It's, 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 it's slave talk. Because no one is grateful for the man that owns him. You know? These were owned by someone. And they had to work another man. And they, they'd learn the language of slavery is complaint. Complain against the man who owns you. Complain against treatment. You don't have a home of your own. Your children aren't your own. Your clothes aren't your own. The food you eat, nothing is your own. So there's, you can understand it's easy to get into the flow of complaint. But the thing is, they came out healed. They came out whole. They came out with a God-man leading them. They came out with the word of the Lord. They came out with the presence of God that could be seen. And they came out with the wealth of a nation and still couldn't arrive. Why? They didn't do the work of believing. The word preached did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So don't think that money, money will get you out of your problems. Money won't get you out. No matter how much money somebody gives you, it will not cause you to arrive at the fullness of God's plan for your life. Money does not arrive us at his plan. Having a word spoken to you will not arrive you. It's what you have faith in. Amen. They were going to get in one way, by faith. By faith. So here this whole generation delivered out of Egypt saw things that no other generation had ever seen and still couldn't arrive. And so in that... God's mercy, they're not arriving. They're not doing what he told them to do. He told them to go to the land that he prepared for them. And they're not doing that, so they stop. God led them to go through the wilderness, but not live there, not linger there. There are things that you're going to pass through. That doesn't mean it's your destination. Just keep going. Just keep going. But they didn't keep going. Why? Because their complaint disarmed their faith. It weakened their faith. It took faith out of them. I tell you what, find no complaint in your boss. Find no complaint in the home you live in. Find no complaint in the car you drive because it is the language of slavery. You might not be in the home of your dreams, but you have a home. And there's a lot who don't. Amen. And to ever speak against what you have is to not move out of what, where you are. And that's exactly what happened to them. They spoke against everything they had and they didn't move out of where they were. And God was, God's plan and God's best for them was for them to arrive at a land that flowed. And they stopped short of the flow. And they wandered in the wilderness and out of his mercy, he worked miracles for them. They didn't have water. God told Moses, strike a rock, water flowed. They didn't have food. And uh, 
they didn't have food and they said, we don't have food out here. So God pours down manna from heaven, from heaven. The Bible, one translation called it angel food, angel food. And they complained against angel food. Are you kidding me? If I don't have to cook, baby, it's all good. Right? They received a miracle, but manna was a miracle for disobedient people. Manna was a miracle that God never intended that they have to have. Manna was never part of his plan, but it was part of his mercy. Water out of a rock was not part of his plan, but it was part of his mercy. And then ladies, you know this one. There's another miracle he worked. The clothes never wore out. Wow. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. The clothes grew with the children. It's a miracle. But not the best. The best miracle is a closet that flows. <laughs> right? Clothes that never wore out were not, was not God's best. It was a miracle for disobedient people. Thank God for all of his miracles. I would rather have a miracle of obedience that comes in a place of obedience than a miracle that comes out of mercy. And some people are quite content just to get relief. But I want to arrive at living and experiencing the fullness of what flows. Amen. And uh, where were they? They were in a land that was barely enough. Everything was barely enough. Only enough manna for the day. By the end of the day, it was spoiled. You went the next morning and uh, try to eat that. It was, it was ruined because there, the miracle of mercy was just enough for that time. Just barely enough. So many Christians live at the level of barely enough. Why? We lack success. Praise the Lord. So, uh, if we're not, if things are not flowing in every arena of life, then we need to apply the work of believing. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. To me, jo- Joshua chapter one, verse eight is the outline and the prescription for the work of believing. Yes. It's one of the verses. I mean, Mark 11, of course, talks about it, but capsulated in this one verse is the work of believing. And uh, Joshua is standing here. Now think about it. He's, uh, he served this man Moses faithfully. And there had to be something just in his, his humanity. He admired, no doubt, this man. This man that God talked face to face with. There had to be something in Joshua that thought, I mean, just in the humanity side, if Moses couldn't get him in. What makes me think I can get him in? 
And God's got to address his thinking because if he doesn't have success thoughts, if he doesn't think he can lead them in, he can't lead them in. Now you would think this is a nation that is in rebellion, in disobedience, in unbelief. And as Joshua, you would think it would take volumes of God saying to us to get us out of the place that we're at. And he takes one verse, one verse, and tells them how to turn a failing nation into a succeeding nation, how to turn an unbelieving nation into a faith nation. One verse. If they will do what is in this one verse, this book of the law, I, let, let, let's look at this book of the law. Let's talk, let's count. This book, the word is mentioned, of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now you're mentioned. But thou shalt meditate therein, the book, day and night, so that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. What's mentioned? The devil's not mentioned. If we fail, the devil had no part of that. God's not mentioned. Yet he is mentioned in the, in the form of his word. In the form of his word. But I mean, talking about his intervening power, he's not mentioned. What's mentioned? The word's mentioned three times. The individual's listed five times. Whether or not we succeed or not depends on what the individual's going to do with the word. Boom. Boom. There it is. What you going to do with the word? <laughs> it's so easy. Our success is this. What you going to do with the word? What you going to do? What you going to do? Hallelujah. We think our problems and circumstances are large sometimes. But Joshua was facing one of the greatest difficulties of his life. And God said, here's the prescription for success. Now, if we're going to have, it's time for miracles, and we're going to have success, the same prescription that got them into the next place God had for them. Got them into the flow God had for them. Got them into the abundance God had for them. Got them back into the plan of God. It's the exact same steps we take to get into a time of miracles, to get into that flow, to get into success of that which God articulates it's time for. Amen. So let's look at Joshua 1.8. We thought we knew Joshua 1.8, but do we know Joshua 1.8? God said to me two years ago, he said, the way you're going to get into the next thing I have for you is Joshua 1.8. Now, I knew what Joshua 1.8 was. I read it. I'd taught on it times. But I knew there must be something more I'm missing. <laughs> so we start digging. Look at the first two words of this verse, this book. Our success that's spoken of in the last phrase depends on the first two words, this book. How we treat this book. How we regard this book. How we honor this book. What place we give this book in our life. That's going to determine the success. Because Jesus does not offer us success apart from the book. Amen. 
Jesus was a man. He, he was the word made flesh. He said, I only do what I see my father do. What's he doing? He's obeying words. He's obeying words. It doesn't matter that he's a son of God. He's not dismissed from obeying words. He was taking the same steps that will arrive us at the success he offers us. This book. So it matters what place we give this book. Too many times we give our feelings a place that belong to the book. If we choose to worry at a time of opposition, what we're doing, we're placing our feelings and our thoughts above the book. Every time you put anything above the book, there's not going to be success. Worry comes to displace the book. Fear comes to get you off the book. Doubt comes to try to offer you a different thought than what the book. It all begins with the book. Amen. And it says this book of the law. Notice it's a law. The book will work like a law. If you will work it, it's as sure as any law. Amen. It doesn't matter what home you were raised in. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your education or your lack of education. It doesn't matter your IQ. It doesn't matter your country. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter anything uh, of the natural outside all these things because success is connected to the book and the book is offered to every man. How we treat, in fact, our lives today look like how we're treating the book. We are living today the way we treat the book. Praise the Lord. Because our success that's spoken of in the last phrase begins with this book. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the book? Thankful for the book. (laughs) For the book. It's how we live. It's how we think. Amen. This book touches every single arena. It changes. This book believed. This book acted upon changes the outcome of everything the devil does. My mother used to say to us, four kids, you can start anything you're big enough to let me finish. Meaning if you want to talk back, go ahead. But I'm going to finish it. And you better make sure you're big enough to take out the finish that I'm going to handle you. (laughs) This book, no matter what the devil starts against us, you can start anything you're big enough to let the book finish because I'm going to stay with the book. Amen. Amen. You know how we're going to have miracles? The book. We're going to stay with this book, this book of the law. It's so certain it's a law. It is so certain. It is so sure. There is no risk to a life of faith. No risk connected to faith. No risk. The risk is doubt and unbelief and varying from the book. There's where your risk is. 
There were times when one time I needed, uh, it was in 2014, the financial girl came to me in February and she said to me, she said, Pastor Nancy, she says, I, I remembered that there's $500,000 that's owed July the 1st. I said, ministry or, or personal? She said, personal. I said, praise the Lord, let's just make it on home, you know. Let's. And uh, I looked in here, you know, because there was other monies owed and other things that we were working on. And on the inside of me, I looked. And I said, Father, what action do I take? How do you want me to handle this? There were several different actions that could be taken. And he said this, don't do anything. The natural mind wants to do something. Flesh wants to do something that it can tangibly touch and hold and work, right? And uh, at that time, and I told God the day my husband went home to be with the Lord, I said, I commit and consecrate to you that no faith goes to an insurance company, goes to any kind of court ruling. I will not put my faith in any monies that could come through a certain avenue, you're, you're, you're what I'm trusting in. And it was a good thing because none of those avenues were really there. <laughs> you know, very little. And uh, there was one avenue that looked like the money could come through, just one. But I knew this, don't put your faith on any avenue. And it would count down February, March, April, May. The window is closing to do something naturally. If you needed to step in, the time frame is closing down. And I would just look. And on the inside of me, I just still had this, don't do anything. And my son would say, Mom, what you going to do? I said, nothing. <laughs> Not out of negligence out of leading. One month before the money was due, I got a phone call from the lawyers and they said, Nancy, this one avenue is closed down. It's, it's closed down. I said, all right, fine with me. And I said, now God, you knew that long before this ever happened. You knew about that avenue. So why should I be troubled now? You've known all along. And so I, it took work, the, the work of believing yeah. to not lay in bed yeah. and try to figure out. It's a work. Yeah. It's a work to cast down thoughts. It's a work to hold your thoughts on the book, on what God says. It's a work. It's a work, but it's not a risk. And there's a difference. So I just, I didn't treat it any differently. When the lawyer said that avenue's closed down, I said, fine. And I just said, I was so glad I didn't have to remove my faith off that avenue and try to find where it went. It was already, I'm just trusting you, Father. 
A week later, the uh, attorneys called back and said, hmm, very remarkable. That avenue opened back up. The money will be there within the week. And in came a check for half a million dollars. No risk. Why? Because he told me. What he said, there's no risk. When you do what the word says, there's no risk. There is no risk. This book has no risk. It only has success tied to it, not risk tied to it. It's not trial and error. I tell you what, you're safe on the book every time. Amen. This book, this, (laughs) this book. Ah. What is this book? It's a book of what my father says. If the Holy Spirit says something to you, it's the same thing as the book saying it to you. He, He is the author of the book. And if he says something additional to you specifically that's not in the book, but in line with the book, it's as sure as the book. It can be stood on as though you could find a scripture for by this house. Amen. Because the author of the book is the one that told you and leads you. Amen. There's no risk. There's no risk. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Meaning, what's that mean? Lifestyle. This is the way we live. We talk the book. We talk the book. We talk the book. Can I tell you what talking the book sounds like? Satan, you take your hands off my children. Satan, you take your hands off my finances. Talking the book is not just confessing a scripture. Don't limit the talking of the book to it only looking like a scripture being confessed. That is absolutely the talk of the book, but it's not the only way the talk sounds. Talking the book is not you every time you talk to someone, you're talking in scripture and verse. If you got around Dad Hagen or Dr. Summerall, they were the easiest, most normal, easy to talk to because they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to on purpose quote a verse. They, the verse was so much in them that it governed everything, but they did not quote it word per word in every conversation. It just governed how they conversed. It governed how they, how they interacted. And this, is, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. It becomes the way of your lifestyle to where it becomes such an unconscious flow. It's so big in you. It's so honored in your life. It's so given the first place that it just is the first thing that flows out, not in scripture and verse, but in the attitude, the way you speak, the way you address things. So this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth as first. It does show up as confessions of the word, but it also shows up as Satan. You take your hands off that. It also shows up as money. You come, you call the word in your mouth is you calling. Amen. The word in your mouth is uh, fear. I resist you in Jesus name. So don't limit how the book comes out. The book comes out in so many ways through these different avenues, through these different works of believing. We're working our believing. We're working our faith. Amen. Hallelujah. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you say, well, I, I know that. Yeah, but do you know it at dinner time when you're sitting around the table? 
and, and one starts saying, honey, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do financially. I, I don't. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth even when other family members are talking something other than the book. See, it's real easy to keep the book in your mouth when you're at church. And it's real easy to keep the book in your mouth when the sun's shining. It's real easy. But uh, when things are, things are not as you wish them to be. Where's the book? Where's the book in all that? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Uh, this book of what my father says to me. How personal is that? How intimate is that? This book of what my father has said about my life. Can I tell you, for those of you who are givers, you know God's already shown you your future. Philippians 419 is what your father has said to you. My God shall supply all your needs. He's already shown you your future. You know what your future is? Supply. Amen. Two years before my husband went home to be with the Lord, we were sitting on the plane on a commercial flight. We were sitting on the runway waiting for our turn to take off. And the word of the Lord came to me and said, you're going to start living off the top of the barrel. Weeks after he died, God reminded me that and said, I I was showing you your future. Amen. I have to believe that. When your six and a half million dollars that you owe, you have to believe the book. What's the book? It's what he says. It's what he says. It's what he says. Now, if I'm going to let that, if I'm going to let go of that, I don't know where I'm going to end up. But if I hold to it, I end up at success every time. Every time. Every time. I don't care how long it takes. Success will be the outcome. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth. So the first, the first step, the first prescription of success is the word in your mouth all the time. It's the way we live. It's a lifestyle. But thou shalt meditate therein. Here's the second prescription for success. Thou shalt meditate in the word day and night. This was dealing with the mouth. The other is dealing with the thoughts and the attention. And your thoughts reflect what your attention's on. It's easy to keep it in your mouth. I have learned in 25 years of pastoring, there are some people who have learned the faith lingo. They've learned what a faith confession sounds like. But when they make it, does it sound full or hollow? And as a pastor, you learn to hear Faith, faith confessions don't have a tear in the voice. They don't have a, a bug-eyed look while they're confessing it. It's not enough to know faith lingo. Why is it that people know the language of faith yet don't have the experience of the success that they're talking about? It's because they're missing this one step that's so vital, meditation. Meditation will not take the place of speaking the word. And speaking the word will not take the place of meditating the word. 
You've got to deal with your thought life. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's not going to arrive at success. Why? He's unstable. Don't let that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. What's double-minded? Well, Pastor Nancy, I'm not double-minded. To say the word to others, but to think something different to yourself is double-minded. You got two opposing things going. To lay in bed and wonder where's the money coming from? What are we going to do about this? Is going to undo every confession of faith you make. It'll nullify it. So how do we keep the word in our mouth all the time? We have to meditate. Otherwise, it's a very difficult thing to keep the word in your mouth when the word's not in your thoughts. The word is easily in your mouth when it's already in your thoughts. Notice, now see, God's telling Joshua. He's telling him where the previous generation missed it by telling him what the next generation has to do. Where did the, where did the previous generation miss it? Their mouth. Why did their mouth miss it? Because they thought wrong. They never, they came out wealthy. They came out rich. They came out with a man of God. They came out with miracles, signs and wonders leading them in route and still missed it. Why? They never changed their thinking. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And we are to bring our thoughts in line with the kingdom we are now a citizen of. And forbid anything of the former kingdom because we no longer belong to that kingdom. And we cannot have the thoughts of that kingdom. Amen. Listen, if it's time for miracles, we have to have the thought life that facilitates that time. Amen. Hallelujah. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Can I tell you, it's a work. It's a work. It's a work (laughs) to take your thought life and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. You are not going to let your mind go the way it normally goes. You're not going to fall apart like you used to. No, you don't. You're not going to call mama and daddy and get their sympathy. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're not going to run and ask somebody for a loan. No, you don't. It's a work. It's not a work of earning it. It's a work of becoming skillful. Amen. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. When the sun is shining and when it's dark. When it's easy and when circumstances are pushing and circumstances are pressing. It matters what you're thinking on. It matters what you're thinking on. Two years before, you've heard me say it. Let let me tell you why I keep telling you parts of my story. Because your answer is in it. Your answer is in things that I've faced before. Why? That's what the Bible is. It's a story of men. You know, Dad Hagen, thank God he'd tell his stories over and over. And there were, pe- there were pre- preachers who said to Ed on one occasion, said, we don't go to Dad Hagen's meetings anymore because it's just the same stories over and over again. Then don't read any of the four Gospels. Don't read them. Because it's just the story of people over and over again. But when I read, 
that there was a woman with an issue of blood, I find my answer. When I read these things, my answer is in the stories. That's why I don't mind repeating the stories. It's not that I run out of sermon material, but your answer is in my story. And two years before my husband went home to be with the Lord, the Holy Ghost said to me, all I want you doing is practicing peace. And I knew what exactly what he meant. That meant guard and govern every thought. If it yeah. does not arrive you at peace, kick it out. Yeah. If it doesn't build your peace, if it doesn't nurture peace in you, don't run it around. Do not allow your mind to turn it over. And I tell you what, I, we had just come out of a, a, of a season of testing. Yeah. And my mind, it, it's so easy to get your mind entrenched in the wrong direction. It's so easy. And I tell you, it was a work to pay attention to every thought. Not a hard work, but an aggressive work. It was, it was, a, it was a work. And I'm so glad I did the work. Because the day he went home, the work was done. For that situation, for that situation, I arrived at success. You say, well, he went home to be with the Lord. Yeah, but I didn't. And I'm still here. And I didn't lose momentum. And I didn't fall into a hole of depression. And I didn't have to, no one had to dig me out. Not because of me, but because of the greatness of the work where it will deliver you to a point that you have total success at a time when others would have folded. Not you. Because you have such regard for the book. And doing it every, every day. It's, a, it's an everyday work. We are renewed day by day. Amen. And the end of the day will show us if we've been doing the work or not. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you, you meditate, you get it in your thoughts, you think it. Yes. Meditating, when God said to me, I'm going to give you Sister Amy Simple McPherson's home. He said that in February. Around the time they say you owe 500000 When God, set, God started talking to me about the things he was going to do, and it was in the midst and the height of everything that needed to be done. Yes. He didn't wait till the slate was clean right. and then start putting stuff. He, he just keeps piling things on. Why? Because he wants you to know, uh, you can't do this. Because if we're going to talk about another house, let's not talk about it right now. That was my thought with him. Let's not talk about that right now. I've got eight projects. Two of them are buildings that need to be finished. I've got properties to sell. I've got all kinds of legal matters. All kinds, not, not to mention traveling and everything else. Let's not talk about a house, but that's the prime time that God wants to talk about what's ahead because he wants to teach you this isn't your brain, it's not your skill, it's not your education. 
and for the first time in my life walked, paid cash for, that, for a home. Yes. Paid cash for a home. <laughs> and then February of this year, I walk on, I step on the front, I said it last night, stepped on the front patio of Sister Amy's house and the anointing drops on me tangibly. And I said, God, what's that anointing for? He said, that's the grace to renovate the castle. I said, perfect, <laughs> perfect. You want to know why I said perfect? I was at the lowest place financially I've been since Ed died. I said, great. Now it's time to pick up the momentum. Why, did, why didn't he say something when I still had numbers that were bigger? As opposed to when numbers are smaller because it's not the numbers that are going to get me in it. He wants, he wants me to know you're at the lowest point now. It's time to move ahead to show you you can't do it. It's a work to not sit and argue with him and, and reason. God, I shouldn't start the business right now. It's a bad time for us financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to assign you to things that you absolutely cannot afford. Because then you'll quit trying to afford it and just let him fund it. I've learned this. I do not have the resources to sponsor God financially. (laughs) The plan that he has for my life, he's not called me to be a financial sponsor of it. Praise the Lord. You know what, you know why I get your pastor's vision your finances are not enough. They're not enough. Amen. You know why God lets you get, he tells you to apply your finances to the vision so that you can link up your finances to the divine provision that, that is going to happen for the vision. Amen. You're not, you're not sponsoring it. He just lets us hook up. Amen. And we want to hook up at every level we can. Praise the Lord. So then God said to me, I'm going to give you Sister Amy's house. It was a work to say, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. <laughs> it, to not say, let's, let's just stay where we're at. Let's just stay where, listen, faith is not looking to lighten responsibilities. That's not my job. My job is to commit to everything he assigns to me and take on the responsibilities with joy. As I get older and as you get older, it's not to lighten the load. It's to be more skillful so the load is light. There's a difference. Praise the Lord. And so uh, my mind did not see that it was time or that I even needed it, so to speak. But I know what God said. And I know to agree with what he said. So to meditate, let me tell you how I meditated on the house. 
Every time I was home, I drove and parked across the street from the house every day that I was home. And I'd look at the house and I'd talk to it and say, I'm going to live in you. And all the money for you is going to come. And all the furnishings are going to come. And you're going to be a testimony to the body of Christ that what God can do when somebody has nothing. And I'd talk to it every day. The angels are working right now. They're working behind the scenes. Listen, God's always working on the backside of your situation. Remember when Joshua sent spies in two? Don't get 12. Oh my gosh, only two can get in agreement. And it only takes two. If two on earth. Aren't you glad he didn't say 12? Two on earth. And those two go in and Rahab the harlot takes them in. And you know what she said to him? She said, we heard about what God did for you when you crossed the Red Sea. And when we heard it, our hearts melted in us. What's that mean? Our defenses left us. Meaning we were ready to lay down arms. You weren't going to have to fight us. But where have you been for 40 years? God had already disarmed the place they were headed toward. But because they never arrived, they never knew that they were already disarmed. If you decide now, looking at today, how you can't afford that business, can't afford that house, you have no idea how he's already worked on the backside. God had already worked on the backside to disarm their enemies. They said our hearts melted within us. She towed off on them. Rahab towed off on them. Amen. Where were you? 40 years. We've been waiting for you to show up. Amen. I, uh, I knew this, that when I'm talking to the house, God's already planned for all the money. I'm talking to it. But I've got to get an agreement so that I don't disarm the plan. He's not waiting for the money to come before I bought it. He told me about it in February. He didn't buy it till January, the following January. That time was not of him working to get money together. That was the time it took from my mind to come into agreement so that there could be a flow. That he was giving me time to meditate. He was giving me time to speak. Why? So that he could fulfill. How come it takes God so long? It doesn't take God long. It takes us long to meditate and get it in our mouth. That's where the time is. When will God tell you to act on it? When you're full. When you're full of meditation. Amen. Uh, My husband and I moved from Tulsa to California. And um, we we came out with nothing but debt. Every credit card run up to the max because we took too long. God told us to move to California and we took too long to make the move. And so we were there a year and a half longer 
after God told us to move, so all the finances started drying out. That's what happens when we don't move in time. And uh, so when we got there, we just had nothing but debt. So we rented a home, and we lived in it. And I'm telling you what, it took us years to recover. And I was, I remember I was deciding, do I buy postage stamps or not? That's how low I was. I mean, I'm talking like $60 in the account. Credit cards run up to the hilt. And Ed walks in to uh, the 7-Eleven down at the corner to get his coffee and his morning paper. And there's a magazine there, a housing magazine. And on the front of it, it says, it's home they're advertising. And Ed looks at it and God says to him, that's your home. And he brings this magazine home and throws it on the counter that morning. See, I didn't pay the bills. I paid the bills. But I will tell you this. I was a good one to pay the bills because they were nothing but numbers to me. They were not my future. They were not what God could do. I knew how to pay it and walk off from it. And so he brought home the magazine and he said, see that house on the front? I go, uh-huh. He said, I walked into the 7-Eleven. God said, that's your house. I said, all right. Yeah. I didn't talk about $60 is all we got. Yeah. I didn't talk about it. Why? Because I knew my husband. Yeah. And I knew he was a man of faith. Yeah. And I knew that what we had had nothing to do with what God said. So I said, when are you going to go see it? Today. Today. (laughs) There was a real estate guy in our church and Ed called him. It was early in the morning and he said, I want to go look at such and such a house today. We went and looked at it. Ed said, yeah, we're taking it. Well, we were going to take it before we even went and looked at it because God said that's your house. (laughs) This is just a token trip, you know. And so Ed said, uh, find out who owns this house. So within a week, it it was probably the next day or two, uh, that real estate guy comes back and says, there's a woman in Los Angeles that owns it. It's an investment property for her. She owns it outright. And uh, so she's going to send her sons down to talk to you. So the sons come down. They're in their 40s or so. And they, they run her business. And so uh, Ed said to them, uh, this is my house. I want to buy this house. And he said, I don't have any money. What can you do to get me in the house? Yeah. That's what he asked. What can you do to get me in the house? They said, well, we can't do anything because it's not our house. We have to talk to our mother. She's the one that owns the house. We'll go talk to her. Now, see, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't have even gone to see the house. I had them piled up on the desk, all the reasons. There's not, we had a lot of reasons why not to call a real estate guy. A lot of reasons not to call the owner. Because we're not in position. The word puts us in position. It's not our finances. It's not situations or circumstances. The word positions us. So they go back and talk to their mom and say, Mom, there's a preacher in Temecula who is interested in your home there in Murrieta. Because we had the church in Temecula, which is just a neighboring town. 
and uh, said he wants to buy the home, but he says he doesn't have the money for it and wants to know what we can do to get him in the home. She said, what's the preacher's name? He said, they said, it's Ed Dufresne. She said, 15 years ago, I was in his church in Torrance, California, and God healed me. You do whatever you got to do to get him in that home. Now, what is that? God's working on the backside. What if we hadn't called the real estate agent? We'd have never known that the work was already done on the backside. What if we hadn't gone to see the house? We'd have never known that it was already completed on the back end. Anything God had, God knows the end from the beginning, from the, at the, at the start of it, he already has finished the end. What's that mean? Anything he's telling you to do, he's already finished the end of it. He just needs the work of faith, the work of believing to go in operation to arrive at that end. Anything God's told you to do, he's already completed the end. You understand that? I didn't know when God was telling me, I'm going to give you Sister Amy's house. It wasn't just for the house. It was for what was outside the window across the, across the lake is an academy. 42 acres sitting on a lake that God said, do you want that? And I said, yes, I do. It's for the Bible school. The house he put me in was not just for the house. It was so I could see the future. And I had to get in the right place to see the future. I couldn't see that academy every day in the former house. But when he gave me Sister Amy's house, now I have a front row view of where I'm going every day. What do I do when I see it? I talk to it. I'm meditating on it. You belong to me. I don't care whose name you're in. In the spirit realm, you're sold to me. And all the money has already been allocated. Now it just takes the work of believing to get to the end that's already been authored. How do we get at miracles? How to keep the word in our mouth, keep it in our thoughts. Amen. Are you helped tonight? No, we're not finished with this verse. So you better come back tomorrow night. Are you only going to be, you're not occupying yet. Hallelujah. It's time. It's time. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.